Awesome. We'll be going through Romans. As you can see, our projector screen broke. So we're on the wall. You guys can't even see that, can you? Uh, sorry. Is that better? You can see it? Maybe that helps a little bit. Probably not, actually. It may make it worse. Does it make it worse or better? Too slanted. All right. Sorry, guys. All right, I'll come back. All right. It's uh, you know, I don't, some of you have 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 spoke. You know, I, everyone generally likes Romans, but Romans at the same time is very challenging. And uh, the the overarching structure, the the section we're in now, uh, Paul is uh, giving us a lot of things we need to know. Right, kind of even phrases that way. Or don't, didn't you know? He's given us a lot of things we need to know that as Christians that, that, that empower us and help us to live radically different lives. Paul here in Romans uh, isn't going to give you an ethical list of pursue these various virtues, but he is giving you framework for how you're meant to see yourself now. Right? Last week we talked heavily about that idea that, that we are uh, dead to sin and alive to God and how that radically changes uh, and frees us uh, from the power that sin and death ultimately are exercised over us. And that, that's something that's important to know. Hopefully you thought about that last week, uh, the idea of, of, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to sin. In the past, when, when, when we sin before we're a Christian, before we're baptized and born again, when we choose to sin, we are acting in accordance with our will because that's ultimately our will has become enslaved to sin and is controlled by it. But if you've been baptized, you've been born again, you've died to sin, you've been made alive to God, and now you're free to actually make a choice. Now, the Bible's realistic about that choice, that you're not always going to choose to do what's right, but it is your ability now, whereas in the past it was not your ability. That's an incredible, incredible thing. And here, uh, in the second half of chapter 6, he's going to expound on that a fair bit more uh, and give us some more things that we need to know uh, so that we can live a life that pleases God. Amen? Let's read here, starting in verse 15. Paul says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. It's a little bit of a back-ended compliment. <laughs> he says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Great passage. We'll have prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll dig into this a little bit. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we obviously thank you. We, we, we thank you that, that for each one of us that, that have you know, been, been baptized, that we've been born again, that, that we've died to sin. We've been made alive in your sight, God. We pray, God. We pray you help us, God, to continue to dig deeper into this, you know, this, this relationship we have as saved sinners in sin, God. We know that it's a, it's a complex one. It's difficult to 
break free from the things that formerly controlled us, God, but we pray that you help us to, to learn things and walk away with things, uh, framework for, for how to see ourselves and see life, God, that, that empower us ultimately uh, to live lives that bring you glory, God. God, help us, God. Help, help us to uh, make holiness one of the deepest hungers of our hearts, God. Help us, God, to, to, to see our lives with the, the grand perspective that you see it, God. Uh, in, in light of eternity, God. Be with us now. May your spirit move among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Look, it's, it's another great passage, as all passages in Romans are. Uh, you know, and like I was saying, Paul here is continuing a thought he's already had. He, he's, he's phrasing the same question twice. Uh, last week we looked at that first question uh, and, and the answer that, that comes with it there. Uh, come on, slides. There it is, right? Verse 11. Count yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, which we talked about. And this week, it's similar phrasing, uh, slightly tweaked. Uh, you know, the relationship under the law and, and you know, versus under the grace. But, but the same conclusion of, of, of the, the privileged position we have in Christ should motivate us to leave a life of sin, to leave it behind, right? Uh, and he phrases it here in verse 22 of, we have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You know, and as I prayed, it's an interesting, it's a, you know, you, I don't know if they still have it, but, you know, Facebook and relationship status, right? You, you ever check back on your old friends and see where they're at in life and use Facebook to do it, you know? And it's complicated. That was my brother's Facebook status for a little while. I don't, I'm not sure if it is anymore, but what does that mean? It's complicated. It is complicated, you know? And he was trying to describe something that was complicated, very cryptic. Uh, he doesn't like people knowing his business, so I'm telling all you guys his business, you know, but no, he lives on the other side of the world, right? Um, you know, but, but, but we, we, as Christians, we understand, man, I've been, okay, I've been set free from sin, but my goodness, Sunday, as soon as church ends, sin is there, crouching at my door, trying to master me, trying to control me, you know, and it is this, it's an interesting relationship, and I think it's a, it's a, a concept that, that haunts a lot of us. You know, especially because the way Paul speaks at times, uh, Paul takes, con you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, he takes future concepts like, you know, the one Jesus describes when, when the Son of Man sits on his throne at the renewal of all things. And, and Paul takes that future concept and he brings it into the present for us, right? And, and this tension that exists in a lot of the Bible of, of uh, you know, here but not here. Right? Uh, you know, that, that we are uh, blameless in the sight of God, but yet the reality is we all know we're not blameless, right? But that's what we'll be, you know. But, but, but here, you know, Paul is trying to give heavy, heavy practicals, uh, like I said, of framework, ways, ways to see yourself and see your, your choices in life that enable you to live what you will become one day. All right? Bringing those things forward. And, and uh, you know, if you look again just briefly at, at chapter 6, uh, skimming through it, right? He, he says the word no over and over and over. K-N-O-W, right? He says it in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 16. Uh, yep. Even Siri agrees, right? <laughs> or no, that was, I don't know who that is. That's the guy that reads it. What's that guy's name? Right? He's got like an epic voice, right? Sometimes I just listen to it, just hear his voice, right? Even into chapter 7, which we'll look at, I don't know, in January at some point. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, verse 14, verse 18, again, it's no. Paul is trying to give us knowledge. He, he understands that knowing the truth, John 8, leads to freedom. And he's giving us things that, man, we've we got to know if we're going to experience freedom as we're meant to, to, to have as freedom, right? 
you know, and one of the illustrations he, he uses heavily in this uh, section of, of, of chapter 6 is that of freedom from slavery. You know, and, and for, for Paul as a good Jewish man, uh, that was like a, a major paradigm for seeing himself. Right? The Jews, one of the main festivals for the Jewish people was out of the Passover. Uh, and it was a time where they remembered that we were slaves, but God rescued us. Right? We were slaves, but God rescued us. And it, it look, look at again at chapter 6 there, right in the beginning, verse 3. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you picked up on this or not when, when we read it last week. Uh, Paul says, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Christ Jesus. Every way, every, you know, the entire chapter 4, chapter 5, Paul repeatedly uses the same two words, Christ Jesus, but it's inverted, and it usually is Jesus Christ, so much so that young people often think Christ is his surname, like Sam Cameron. No, but, but Paul inverts them. Messiah Jesus. Because for their thought, Messiah was rescuer. The one, right? And, and, and Paul here at the beginning of chapter 6 is, is, is trying to uh, preempt that shift that he's talking about. That, hey, a big part, a big way to see our lives as Christians is to see is, as we are people that have been set free from slavery, just as the Israelites had been freed from Egypt, right? Uh, and that's all obviously accomplished by Messiah Jesus. But it probably is also helped us, you know, and Paul even, you know, verse 19 is a kind of, I call it a backhanded compliment. Uh, it's, a, it's a pause because he knows that there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, misunderstanding, even Paul's day, uh, around slavery, right? And, you know, I'm using an example from everyday life because of human limitations. He's, he's not calling them unspiritual, but he kind of is calling them unspiritual. <laughs> he's like, let me put this in everyday terms for you, is essentially what he's telling the Romans. Because, uh, you know, I mean, some historical experts think that, that in Italy right, you know, kind of the hub of the Roman Empire of Paul's day, 40% of the population was slaves. 40%, right? That's a, that's a, big, uh, that's a big part, right? Uh, you know, and, and pre-Jesus' birth, right, and that's a picture on the right. You guys can't see it, tough luck, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a picture, uh, a painting of, um, you know, slave traders into Africa taking slaves by force, and bringing them to North America, okay? And for us, a lot of times, we hear slavery, that's what we think, right? Uh, there was a bit of that pre-Jesus' birth in, in the Roman Empire. By the time Paul, Roman entered the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, uh, you know, they weren't, they weren't expanding and conquering and enslaving people so much anymore. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, the slave class was, was massive, but it wasn't all force, forced slavery, like we often think, right? Uh, some of you are medical professions, doctors, nurses. Uh, a lot of slaves were doctors and nurses, accountants, professional type jobs, uh, you, know, uh, you know, which is interesting to think about, right? It's a little bit different than how we would view slavery nowadays. Uh, even, you know, in Paul's age, you know, in Paul's time period, Emperor Claudius, who reigned from 41 to 54 AD, uh, he even began to institute uh, the, the uh, protections for slaves. Basically, that if their if their master took off and you know left, the slave was free, right? Even Nero, who gets a pretty bad rap as a Roman Empire, and kind of rightly so, uh, you know, even even Nero began to institute laws that allowed slaves uh, to bring formal uh, civil complaints against their masters. Right? Again, that's not really American slavery. Uh, it's a little bit different. And, and by the time, you know, uh, Constantine in 300 AD, slavery in the Roman Empire is, is more like indentured servitude. Okay? It makes sense? 
And so, you know, again, a lot of times people even will attack the Bible talking about slavery. Slavery in, in Paul's day had different connotations than necessarily we think slavery. Still wrong, and the gospel ultimately undermines it, erodes the ground from underneath it. Uh, and, and, you know, it is Christians who ultimately champion, you know, eradication of slavery throughout the world for the most part. Uh, you know, but, but again, it wasn't slavery as we think. Let's follow all that. Nonetheless, not pleasant, right? Uh, you know, but, but, but a lot of times it was voluntarily entered into. And, and you see that uh, there even in our text, right? Look, look down there um, in, in verse 19 when he talks about it, He talks about now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. Because a lot of their slavery wasn't forced slavery. It was, it was I'm in huge debt uh, to, to Sam Percy. And so I'll go to Sam and I'll negotiate terms. I'll work for him for five years as a slave. And then my debt's canceled, right? That, that makes sense. So that, that's how a lot of it was, right? Uh, but, but Paul gives a little aside, and so we thought we'd clear that up first. But let, let's look at four principles here that do surround this idea of slavery uh, to, 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 to uh, a master uh, that Paul kind of outlines here, right? So first and foremost, Paul, Paul here, I think, is pushing us to consider carefully who we serve, right? Consider carefully who we serve, right? Don't you know, verse 16, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who obey. Right? If I enter into that agreement because of a debt and I enter it with, with Sam Percy uh, and it's a five-year agreement, year two I can't say, eh, this is not really working out, Sam. Let's part ways. No, no, I, I have, I've offered myself there and I'm essentially stuck there. Right? Uh, you know, and, and Paul here is saying, look, you've got to consider carefully uh, who, 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 you, who you serve. And he only gives two options. I mean, it gives four, technically, and we'll talk about it in a second, but ultimately it's sin or God. That's your choice, right? You know, Harriet, Harriet uh, Tubman there, she says, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. Now, Paul pokes at, I think, this concept, right, that a lot of people are enslaved and we don't even think we're enslaved. Most of us, if you go back and you interview your former self a year or two years before you become a Christian, you say, hey, you think you're a slave to sin? You'd be like, no. I could stop whenever I want, right? Yeah, right. As soon as you start studying the Bible, you realize, oh, I'm really a lot more enslaved than I ever thought I was. And then five years after you've been a Christian, you look back on that period, and you think, oh, my gosh, I was even blind after the fact of how enslaved and controlled into sinful habits I was, right? But not everyone realizes that. But Paul here is, is, is forcing people to face the reality. You, you, there's two choices, guys. Everyone, you know, as Timothy Keller, kind of modern-day famous author, says, Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. And he's saying, look, consider carefully who it is. Over and over, right? Uh, five times in our text, you see him compare, right? Who are you going to serve? You're going to serve sin or obedience. You're going to serve sin uh, or the pattern of teaching that's been given to you. You're going to serve sin or righteousness. You're going to serve impurity or righteousness. You're going to serve sin or God. Over, I mean, this is, we only read eight verses, and multiple times, he's, he's framing you in. He's, he's uh, blocking us from choosing a third option. It's, e it's either sin or God, yes. Right? It's either sin or God. Right? Only, only two options. You've got to think about it, right? Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting even how he phrases these, right? I mean, think about these four things. Obedience, pattern of teaching, righteousness, and righteousness again in, in God. You know, you know I, I tend to think what Paul's doing here uh, is showing the progression we all go through when we're becoming Christians. When you first start reading the Bible and you begin to come to faith, 
uh, you begin to make decisions to obey what the Bible says rather than yourself. There's a, there's a slow letting go of control, right? You begin to do things like come to church or read your Bible uh, that you never would have done before, and that even at the time you don't necessarily want to do it, but you're willing to obey, right? There's not like great, deep, heartfelt motivation. Uh, a lot of it is external pressure from the people trying to make you a disciple of Jesus, but you do make a decision to, okay, I'll do it. I'll obey. I'll read the Bible. I'll, I'll come to church, even though I'm being forced to come. I'm here, right? There's this sense of obedience, right? Uh, but, but then Paul pushes a little further, and, and I think that first step is that of a seeker. Someone who's just coming, just want, curious, wanting to learn more, wanting to grow in faith, wanting to see what it's all about, right? Uh, but then kind of the next stage that, that he here talks about, right, is someone who's, who's saved and kind of becoming more of a servant of Christ, right? And I love the way Paul phrases it there in verse, verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, right? And that's a very interesting way of, of, of seeing it, that, that you know, and I think this is true for a lot of, lot of times for all of us when we first get baptized, is we are, we, are, we are slaves to a pattern of teaching. Someone has given us some basic principles of here, here is how the Christian life works, uh, and it's becoming a deeper thing in your heart. It's getting deeper in there, right? It, you know, there's an allegiance to it now, uh, a commitment to it that is heartfelt, right? Uh, and, and you're sticking to it, right? holding to these principles, right? Uh, at times, it, 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 it's challenging, but nonetheless, stay to it, right? And then he pushes it, right? Verse 18, uh, and again in verse 19, he, he, he talks about how you're slaves to righteousness. And righteousness is a massively complex word. Uh, we talked a bit about this when we looked at chapter 3, but, but righteousness probably here in this context is more of like this, this image of here, here is, when you're in a covenant with God, here's what life is about. Here's what life following the king in, in a relationship with Jesus, here's what this is all about. Here's what we're meant to pursue. Here's what we're meant to be devoted to, right? Uh, and, and then ultimately it ends up being, you know, the contrast between sin and God. And I think that's kind of where, you, you know, obviously a state of maturity in a Christian life is you're not just obeying because somebody makes you obey and they're going to text you if you don't come to church, right? You're not just holding and trying to build habitual habits of doing the right thing. Uh, you're not even just kind of following the, the, the group cultural norms of covenant people. No, no, it's a relationship now with God. Right? And that's, you know, perhaps what Paul is doing here is showing, hey, consider your master. But when you think about your masters in the Christian life, they're all ultimately masters. You know, your master is ultimately God, but, but you, you have some different, different forms of that along the way. Beginning that form of obedience, pattern of teaching, then this, you know, right, you know covenantal norms uh, and values, and then ultimately God, Right? Uh, you know, and I think it's important for us to, to know because a lot of us uh, ha have become Christians in the last two years, right? Some of you have been Christians for 20 years plus. Michelle's dad this past week uh, celebrated his 50th anniversary as a disciple, right? Dan and Zaya, one year as disciples this past week, right? You know, but, but uh, maturity as a disciple is an interesting thing. You don't, you don't go through those, those stages. Sorry, I forgot to advance them for us, right? Uh, uh, from going from a seeker to saved or saved a servant to a servant to, to more of that of a relationship and in terms of a son or daughter, uh, you don't progress in that based on time. 
the calendar turning over doesn't make you a more mature disciple. You can be a disciple 30 years and still be kind of at an obedience stage. You can get, get caught just, I'm just doing it, going through the grind. Right? He, Hebrews is very clear about this. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 5, you know, you know the writer of Hebrews, whoever it may be, Barnabas or, you know, Paulos, uh, verse 12 says, In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Paul's, you know, Barnabas' mind, sorry, Apollos' mind, what is that of a, a what's the mark of a mature person who, who, who by constant use of the truths of the, of the Bible have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil? Right? They, they know what they need to do. They move beyond pattern, purely pattern, Right? It's, it's, it's habitual life now of, of following God. You know, and I think consider carefully who you're serving. Consider carefully, like really, who controls what you do? Who do you submit to? Who, who exercises the ability in your life that dictates what choice you make when no one else is around? When you are by yourself, in the world, at home, at work, solo, not surrounded by a bunch of other people that are trying to follow God, who do you obey? Who takes hold of you? Who controls you and moves you to do things even when necessarily you don't want to do those things? Have you ever had that? you ever thought, oh, I don't really want to read my Bible today, but you know what? I'm going to do it. Because you know what? That's where my allegiance lies you go out and just pray because you know what I, I just haven't talked to I haven't talked to God in a while it's relationship driven it's not because Trevor's going to text me and ask me hey have you had a quiet time today bro no no it's because man I, I want to I want to connect or, or in, in verse with sin does it still control you do you find yourself doing things and, and thinking oh, I, can't, I can't stop that, that's not what Romans 6 is teaching you. Yeah. One of the central points of Romans 6 is you can stop. You can say no. Right. No temptation overcomes you that you are not able to stand up under. God always gives you a way out. Yeah. Right? But then sometimes, man, we, we, you look at your life and maybe you think, man, I'm, I'm kind of becoming enslaved again. When I don't have to be anymore. Right. I've been set free. Right? Consider carefully who you serve as a master. Amen? Secondly, and much quicker, I promise, right? Serve sacrificially, right? Obviously not to sin as your master, but to, to obedience, to the pattern of teaching, to righteousness, to God, whichever stage you're at in your Christian life, man, serve it sacrificially. And think about what he says here in verse 19, right? Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness, Paul's saying, in a sense, okay, pause for a second. Think back pre-Christian. Think back to how you lived. And think back to the, uh, the sacrificial approach you had in pursuit of sin, in pursuit of impurity. I mean, think back to that. Think about how you went about doing that. Think about the creativity 
the extent you went to, even the sacrifices you'd make in terms of your time, your schedule, your relationships to your family, to your friends, in pursuit of whatever, whatever sin had primarily enslaved you. He says, think back to that, and now bring that same intensity into your Christian life. Right? And this is an interesting thing. Right? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I was, I've said, said this to you all before, you know, I was uh, kind of your typical 20, 19, 20-year-old 20 uh, pursuing partying and drugs and, uh, you know, pleasure, you know, pleasure-filled life, right? Uh, I worshiped self, me, myself, and I. Whatever, whatever I kind of want to do, that's what I was going to do. Everything else can be rearranged. Every other relationship can be, can be sacrificed or used to that chief end, right? And, and then I look back on my life, and I think, man, I, I, I sacrificed a lot of other things in pursuit of self-centered Sam, right? I had no problems uh, blowing off my mom, if, if it involved going out and partying with my friends, right? But, but it's kind of a funny thing. A lot of times people become Christians and all of a sudden family is like so important they can't come to church. <laughs> you think back in the day you gave no thought to that as you went out and sinned, right? But, but now all of a sudden that you're, you know, following a different master, you're, you've somehow inverted this still in a way that doesn't make God the ultimate master you're serving. Right? And, and Paul is telling us to, hey, think back on that. Think back on how you used to be, right? Uh, you know, if, you know, whatever, whatever your, your primary sin was, whether it was like entertainment and, you know what I mean? Like if someone, uh, you know, you, you think about, you know, I think back, man, how much money I spent on drugs. Apes. Nothing. They think nothing of it. $50, gone. Go out to a bar, $100 on drinks. No thought. A lot of people operate that way. And yet, am I as free with my money towards good things? Right? You got to think about that. Right? Because Paul's point here is look back on that, that, that imaginative, uh, creative, sacrificial pursuit of sin you had. And, and man, it better be a heck of a lot more in terms of the right direction. But oftentimes it's not. It's a lot less. Right? And he, he's telling us, look, look back, right? Um, thirdly here, <laughs> you know, it's, almost, it's almost as if you look back and Paul's like, okay, hold on. As you look back here, let me, let me give you some framework even for looking back, right? right? And he talks about here, I think, re remembering responsibly, right? Verses 20 to 21, when you were slaves to sin, because he's just told you to think back about that. He says, now when you were free, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from things you're now ashamed of? It's almost as if he sets you up, right? Yeah. Verse 19 tells you to think back, and now he's like, hey, while well, you're back there, <laughs> think back about how your life was, right? Think back, actually, of the fact that a lot of those things you just thought about that you sacrificially pursued, how, how now you, you'd be ashamed to mention them, embarrassed to talk about them. And think about what you gained. It's not like you really gained anything. You actually messed up your life a fair bit. And it's not like they're actually satisfied because the fact that you're empty is ultimately what drove you to become a Christian. But Paul is challenging us, hey, make sure you're responsible with how you, you see your past. Right? Because this whole section is framed kind of out of the Jewish concept of, of, of you know, the exodus. You know? And, and, you know, there's a guy thinking back and things falling apart. I don't know, maybe. Right? But, but the, the Israelites struggled with this, right? You don't have to turn there, but it's up there, right? Numbers 14, verse 3. A weak point, but a common point for the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. 
this thought, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yeah, sure, look, they are wandering in the desert. They're having kind of a repetitive meal cycle, uh, you know, but, but that thought creeps in. Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better? Well, would it be better? <laughs> I mean, they're, the way they're framing it, it seems better. But they are leaving heaps out. Sarah Groves, who's a famous uh, Christian music writer, uh, she has a, a, one of her songs is called Painting Pictures of Egypt. Uh, painting Pictures of Egypt. And, and one of the lyrics in there is that of Painting Pictures of Egypt, leaving out what it lacked. That's what we do, right? Yeah. We paint pictures of our former life, and we kind of romanticize it, yeah. right? And, it, you know, we kind of make it look a lot better than it actually was. Yeah. Right? Uh, we all had a lot more friends back than we actually did. Right? We had a lot more fun than we actually did. Uh, you know, but, but we do that. We rewrite history. Yeah. Right? And we omit things out of history. Right? And we, and we create this false concept of what life was like before a Christian. And you've got to understand that when we do that, that does not help you live life as a Christian. It makes you like someone putting their hand to the plow and then looking back. But Jesus says, hey, you do that, you're not fit for service in the kingdom. Man, we gotta be, uh, we got to be good stewards, guys, of our past. We've got to go to great lengths, I think, to, to make sure we frame things properly. To help ourselves remember ourselves how God saw us. Almost every one of Paul's letters has a section right smacked in the middle before he begins to talk about ethical behavior and how we should be living. And he says things like, uh, remember... Uh, that formerly what you were, right? You know, Colossians 2, you, you, were, you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision, uncircumcision of your sinful nature. That's where you were. Ephesians 2, you were by nature objects of God's wrath, right? We were enslaved and deceived, Titus 2, right? Almost every one of his letters has that same framework where he forces people to look back on what they were uh, and see it from God's perspective. Because it's so important to see ourselves as God actually saw us. To see our past as God actually, you know, saw it. Uh, you know, and even David, he struggles with this. One of my favorite psalms is there, Psalm 73. You can read the whole psalm, you know, but he talks about, all right, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Wicked, they have no struggles. He looks back, he thinks, man, they, the world, they have it easy. Right? They're not, you know, and that's essentially the same thing Paul says. Uh, you know, yeah, back then you weren't controlled by righteousness. You did whatever you wanted to do. But remember, you were serving a different master there. And where was that master leading you? Right? And that psalm, David struggles with, with that, that thought uh, until later on the psalm, in, in Psalm 73, when he says, until I entered your sanctuary. Until I, I got close to God. And then I realized that those that I envied are like a dream when one awakes. You ever had that? You ever had like a dream where it's like so vivid, right? And then you wake up and you can't even remember the details. God says, hey, that's how the wicked are going to be. <laughs> Forgotten, just like that. The temporary life of the world is temporary, guys. It doesn't last. And in your life before you're a Christian at its best was nothing. It was a vapor, a mist. It's gone just like that. 
We've got to frame it the right way. We've got to remember responsibly. Fourth and last, you know, as we, we have these frameworks, we've got to make sure we envision the end. We've got to envision the end. Over and over in this section here, uh, Paul, when he talks about being a slave to sin, over and over he says, slaves to sin leads to death. Right? And then in contrast, when you're a slave to righteousness, it leads to holiness, uh, which ultimately leads to eternal life with God. Right? Every time he talks about it, he, is, he allows it to run its course to the end. He appeals to them. Hey, look at the results. Look at the results of what you're doing. Look at the results of who, who you're serving. Look at the fruit that it's going to produce in your life. And then look further into the future and see what it's going to bring. It's going to bring death. Right? And again, this can be... Uh, this can be hard sometimes as Christians because we sin and we don't die. <laughs> right? God tells Adam and Eve, eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, you're going to die. They eat from it, they don't die right away. Right? Even Satan po po pokes at that, right? You're not really going to die. And, and in some sense, for a few years, decades maybe, Satan was right. They didn't die. They lived. Right? But, but the Bible, when it talks about ethical, how, how to live your life ethically in a way that pleases God, always pushes you to think about the end. Think about the end of the road. Because we oftentimes, I think, even in sections like this that put death and life before us, we think God treats us like we're donkeys, right, with a carrot hanging from a string, right? Here's eternal life. Go this way. And then we go the wrong way. He whips us. Hey, hell, hell, hell and death is on that road, right? <laughs> It's not that, okay? No, it does feel like that at times, right? But it's more of, of God looking at, at everything from eternity, guys. From outside of time. I mean, he's the Alpha and Omega. He sees the beginning and the end simultaneously. It's not that, that one behavior is going to bring death into your life. No. Uh, one behavior is one, one more step down a road that ultimately leads to a cliff that dro drops off into an abyss. Yeah. You may think, oh, I'm just, you know, just one step. Well, no, no, no. One step is further down that road. And you continue down that road, and it, it, it does destroy. You know, I read a book years ago. I can't remember. I think it was like called Church Planter by Darren Patrick. And he talks about, you know, one of the most helpful things to, to learning to uh, put to death habitual sins in our life is learning to envision the end of that sin. You know, and he talks to, to men that are struggling with pornography, and he... And he to married men struggling with pornography, and he says, envision the end of that. Because you think it's just a few clicks. But a few clicks becomes a flirt with, with a co-worker, and a co you know, that, that ultimately leads down the road to, to an affair. And, and imagine that moment, he says, of coming in your front door, knowing you need to tell your spouse and your kids what you've done. Envision the end of it. See where sin leads to, which is always death. Destruction. Death and destruction. It, it, sin, rebellious acts against God, destroys the fabric of creation. The Bible screams out that reality, guys. Adam and Eve sin in terms of eating a piece of fruit from the tree, and before you know it, they're ripping each other apart. Before you know it, they're, they're sons killing another son, right? Sin, sin brings death. Again, we don't see it. We see temptation, and it looks pleasurable and momentarily, and we, 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 we choose to bite. But, but Paul, in some sense, says, hey, look further down the road, though. That looks appetizing. Yeah, back in Egypt, you did have more of a balanced meal, right? It wasn't just manna and, and, and quail, right? Yeah, it just wasn't water from, from rocks. Yeah, sure, maybe you had some, some wine. 
Maybe it looked better back in Egypt, but, but remember what else was there? Infant side, slavery, right? Population control by working you till you died, right? Right? See, see the fuller picture, right? And, and, and as we, you know, are faced with choices and, and, and decisions day to day, and, and, and some of them can seem so small and so trivial, but really you gotta, you gotta decide, man, if I, if I choose to obey that, that, that desire and that desire is evil, I am enslaving myself to a master that no longer should control me. And that if I choose to do that, I, I'm taking a step down a road that, that leads to death. And make no mistake about it. That is Satan's aim. It is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Right? But, but as those who have passed from death to life, those who have been born again, those who have been baptized, you are free from that. You no longer have to be slaves to that master anymore. You have a new master. And that master, yeah, it's a master of, you know, serving obedience, following this pattern of teaching that people are spoon-feeding to you, beginning to pursue this way of righteousness, serving God, following God with your life. You know, but, but you got to think where that leads to. Not just heaven, right? We think of heaven, we think clouds and harps. It's, you know, you know N.T. Wright writes a phenomenal book called Rethinking Heaven, Hell, and the Resurrection of the Dead. And, and it talks heavily about this you know, what's even here in Romans 8, which we'll talk about later on, and we're out of time anyways. Uh, you know, but, but this idea that all creation is going to be made new. <coughs> There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. Right? Tangible. Earth is tangible. I mean, Jesus is a tangible figure resurrected, right? He tells the disciples, hey, stick your hand in my side, right? They can actually do that. Right? They can actually feel him. He's, he eats, has some fish with him. Right? It's a tangible thing. Right? Uh, all of creation, Romans 8 tells us, is groaning, waiting for that day when we choose to, to, to become servants of God or slaves of God here and now, we're bringing that future reality into the present. Yeah. We're beginning that pat pattern of renewal that, that, that even Max and, and, and Nick talked about uh, to the world here and now. Right? Make a decision who you're going to serve, but, but consider carefully who's it going to be because they lead to two very different destinations. Amen? Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we do thank you. We thank you for all the things that, that Paul uh, hammers into us to know, God. We pray, God, we, you, you, you help uh, the, the, the thought to be imprinted in our heart and our mind that we are no longer slaves to sin. That sin no longer has power or control over us, God. We can choose to follow a different path. We can choose to follow you, God. And we pray you help us, God. Help us to be people that whatever stage we're at, God, that we pr pursue greater maturity, God, in our relationship with you, Father. Do you help us, God, to, to be a people that, that, that frame our past uh, soberly, God, and accurately as you would have it seen, God, and, and that we can be a people that long for the future, God, uh, for the time where you will make all things new, God. Uh, thank you so, so much for, for rescuing uh, each one of us out of that, that darkness and bringing us into a new kingdom to serve a new master who ultimately wants to give us life to the full. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.